welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. And a merry, merry, merry Christmas time to all. This is a special time of the year and a blessed week, not only for spending quality time with family and friends, but sharing the bestest of gifts with others, or even for helping out those in need. Those things, indeed, are beautiful and necessary. But although we should love up on one another at every opportunity given us, because loving one another is a beautiful thing, Our thoughts and actions should be sincere, emanating from the heart of our I Am Presence and exemplifying the Christ consciousness of the one we are celebrating, Jesus the Christ. This should be done, though, not just this Christmas week, y'all, but we should always consider Jesus the Christ in our hearts and minds and be representative of that Christ consciousness every day of our lives, because it matters. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. We so often see in the heart the craving for proof, some remarkable manifestation which will strengthen them on the way. I assure you, Blessed children of the light, any proof given outside of yourself is but temporary, but every step proven in and through your own conscious application is an eternal accomplishment, and as you continue to gain mastery through your self-conscious application, you are not only accomplishing the things in hand, but you are raising the consciousness, until presently you will find that all barriers have gone down. It is in this manner that the door of human limitation is forever nailed back, and as my outer form was nailed to the cross, So do you, by your ascending consciousness, nail back the door of self-created limitations and feel and know your dominion. To the many students so vitally interested in making the ascension, I would urge you to use the statement often, I am the ascension in the light. This will enable your consciousness to more quickly rise out of the maya of human creation. It cannot be stressed too urgently that as you live in and accept more fully the transcendent power of the I am presence, you will find that not only the outer struggle ceases, but that as you have entered deeper into the light, the outer things that you have sought so earnestly will really and truly begin to seek you, because by that time you will truly and fully realize the unreality of form, and its transitory activity. You will then know that within you and the light about you is everything you can possibly desire, and the outer, which has seemed so very important, will have lost its great binding power upon you. Then in the outer things that come to you will come joyous freedom. This is the true activity of outer things. As you become more conscious of the transcendent powers which are at your command, you will know that you can quickly draw to yourself anything you require without harming or affecting another of God's children. This truth must be established within the consciousness, for the conscientious must know this unwaveringly, so they may not at intervals find themselves wondering if it is right for them to succeed when others around them are not succeeding. For your greatest service, I assure you, is to gain the mastery and freedom for yourself. Then you are prepared to dispense the light without being affected by the human creation in which you must move. 
Never feel sad or distressed if another of God's children is not ready to accept the light, for if he does not come to the light of his own choosing, it is rarely but a temporary step. As one begins to gain a conscious freedom from the body, he understands how temporal these outer things are and how unimportant, but when one enters into the universal consciousness, or the great cosmic activity, one finds to enter into the light is of all importance. Then he will know the joy of the inner presence and its invincible activity, for which his heart will leap with joy. Beloved Jesus the Christ Isis Unveiled, Chapter 14 Without stopping to discuss whether Hermes was the prince of post-Diluvian magic, as De Musos calls him, or the antediluvian, which is much more likely, one thing is certain, the authenticity, reliability, and usefulness of the books of Hermes, or rather of what remains of the 36 works attributed to the Egyptian magician, are fully recognized by Champollion, Jr., and corroborated by Champollion Fijac, who mentions it. Now, if by carefully looking over the Kabbalistical works, which are all derived from that universal storehouse of esoteric knowledge, we find the facsimiles of many so-called miracles wrought by magical art, equally reproduced by the quiches, and if even in the fragments left of the original Popol Vuh, there is sufficient evidence that the religious customs of the Mexicans, Peruvians, and other American races are nearly identical with those of the ancient Phoenicians, Babylonians, and Egyptians, and if, moreover, we discover that many of their religious terms have etymologically the same origin, how are we to avoid believing that they are the descendants of those whose forefathers fled before the brigand, Joshua, the son of Nun? Nunez de la Vega says that Nin, or Emos, of the Tzindales, was the Ninus of the Babylonians. It is possible that, so far, it may be coincidence, as the identification of one with the other rests but upon a poor argument. But it is known, adds to Borborg, that this prince, and according to others, his father, Bel or Baal, received, like the Ninabits and Dales the homages of his subjects under the shape of a serpent. The latter assertion, besides being fantastic, is nowhere corroborated in the Babylonian records. It is very true that the Phoenicians represented the sun under the image of a dragon, but so did all the other people who symbolized their sun gods. Belus, the first king of the Assyrian dynasty was, according to Castor, and Eusebius who quotes him, deified, i.e., he was ranked among the gods after his death only. Thus, neither himself nor his son, Ninus, or Nin, could have received their subjects under the shape of a serpent, whatever the Tzindales did. Bel, according to the Christians, is Baal, and Baal is the devil, since the Bible prophets began so designating every deity of their neighbors, therefore Belus, Ninus, and the Mexican Nin are serpents and devils, and, as the devil, or father of evil, is one under many forms, therefore, under whatever name the serpent appears, it is the devil. Strange logic. Why not say that Ninus the Assyrian, represented as husband and victim of the ambitious Semiramis, was high priest as well as king of his country? That as such he wore on his tiara the sacred emblems of the dragon and the sun? Moreover, as the priest generally assumed the name of his god, Ninus was said to receive his subject as the representative of this serpent god. The idea is preeminently Catholic and amounts to very little, as all their inventions do. H. People of Otsky. 
Nunez de la Vega was so anxious to establish an affiliation between the Mexicans and the biblical sun, and serpent worshippers, why did he not show another and a better similarity between them without tracing in the Ninevites and the Tsundales the hoof and horn of the Christian devil? And to begin with, he might have pointed to the Chronicles of Fuentes, of the Kingdom of Guatemala, and to the manuscript of Don Juan Torres, the grandson of the last king of the Quiches. This document, which is said to have been in the possession of the lieutenant general appointed by Pedro de Alvarado, states that the Toltecas themselves descended from the House of Israel, who were released by Moses, and who, after crossing the Red Sea, fell into idolatry. After that, having separated themselves from their companions, and under the guidance of a chief named Tanu, they set out wandering, and from one continent to another, they came to a place named the Seven Caverns, in the Kingdom of Mexico, where they founded the famous town of Tula, etc. If this statement has never obtained more credit than it has, it is simply due to the fact that it passed through the hands of Father Francis Vasquez, historian of the Order of San Francis, and this circumstance, to use the expression employed by De Musos in connection with the work of the poor, unfrocked Abbe Huck, is not calculated to strengthen our confidence. But there is another point as important, if not more so, as it seems to have escaped falsification by the zealous Catholic padres, and rests chiefly on Indian tradition. A famous Toltecan king, whose name is mixed up in the weird legends of Yudatlan, the ruined capital of the great Indian kingdom, or the biblical appellation of Balaam Akan, the first name being preeminently Chaldean, and reminding one immediately of Balaam and his human-voiced ass. Besides the statement of Lord Kingsborough, who found such a striking similarity between the language of the Aztecs, the mother tongue, and the Hebrew, many of the figures on the bari leaves of Palenque and idols in terracotta, exhumed in Santa Cruz del Quiche, have on their heads bandlets with a square protuberance on them, in front of the forehead, very similar to the phylacteries worn by the Hebrew Pharisees of old, while at prayers, and even by devotees of the present day, particularly the Jews of Poland and Russia. But as this may be but a fancy of ours, after all, we will not insist on the details. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 14 The Loved Ones in the Heart of Freedom May I offer you tonight an explanation of those activities of divine love that are your release from everything in this world that causes you distress or limitation. And since you live in the city of brotherly love, let us understand what that love is. You see, you must become an exponent of its majesty and its power, and since you are in the actual focus of its flame, you shouldn't be able to express anything else. Now, I am supposed to be a being of great strength and power, and trust I am. But what strength and power is it, do you think, that gives me the cosmic opportunity to create cosmic conditions that bless life through a whole system of worlds? Because of the power of that love through which I have attained. Now, when you understand that your freedom from the limitations of this outer world comes only by your attention going to your blessed I am presence in love, your attention carrying your love there, your attention coming to our octave, then from our octave must come the power of love to draw you out of connection with that which has been of discord through the centuries. Now in understanding the power of the great central sun magnet, I wish you to remember this, the power of that magnet is the drawing activity of the love from the great central sun. So, when your love goes to that great central sun magnet, the very flow of the energy of your life, qualified with love to that great central sun and to its great magnet, 
that, in itself, is a raising power and raising activity to the atomic structure of the physical body. And now let me show you how magnificent is that power when you call it forth into your affairs. You know the action of a magnet is to draw to itself, isn't it? Then, when you send your love to that great central sun magnet, your own love draws you there through your attention. The love in that central sun magnet draws you to itself. Therefore, when you call its action, its authority, and its power into physical conditions, its natural action is to draw that substance and that energy into the flame of its own love, in order to make that substance and energy eternal love. Beloved Elohim Hercules So, my dear ones, your obligation to life for your own freedom is, first of all, your love to your presence and to the ascended host, to the great central sun and the physical sun. But in your service to mankind, my dear ones, your whole duty is to teach mankind to love that mighty I in presence. And the divine beings who are the focus of its power and are the magnetic action of its presence to draw them out of the conditions they have created which were not love. So, you will only have one thing to teach mankind, first of all, the existence of this blessed mighty I in presence, which is one with all the ascended masters. To teach mankind to love that presence and the ascended host, is the greatest understanding you could bring to life. Every activity of the presence is an activity of love. Its gift of the violet consuming flame is the purifying power of its love. The gift of its mighty word I am, as the great creative word of the universe, is the gift of its power of love to create manifestation. The gift of its intelligence is the all-knowing flame of love from the great central sun. So, your service to life, my dear ones, both for your own freedom and that of your fellowmen, is to teach everybody and everything you contact to love the mighty I am presence and the ascended host, because that love is the power that draws everybody or everything that places its attention there, up and out of the vibratory action of this world, and into the love of its eternal perfection. Beloved Elohim Hercules <laughs>